You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Come, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for bearing with me. In light of the festivities, I wanted to bring the tone that would be joyful and uh, non-controversial, so I figured we could maybe talk about COVID vaccinations and Donald Trump. No? Okay. Uh, As I prayed and prepared, I've come to the conclusion that there are at least two pandemics in the world right now. One, of course, is COVID, and our hearts go out to the more than 600,000 Americans, the families who have lost loved ones and friends and families that don't have fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers this morning. Scripture tells us to weep with those who weep, and I think that's appropriate for Christians to do. Um, But I think there is an infection of complaining in our world. I think we, before the complaints ever come out of our mouth, they have been fermenting in a wine cellar. I'm going to let that joke sit with you for a minute. A wine cellar. Dad joke number one. Anybody here struggle with complaining? I'm going to just ask that question one more time, give you a moment to repent of lying. Is anybody here besides me struggle with complaining? Pastor Bill is doing an amazing job, Jacqueline, because it's really not as bad as I thought. God gave me a word for just two people. Um, Listen, the complaining... So we, we observe things in the world, we process things in the wine cellar. That's never going to go away now, you realize, right? It's going to pro- ferment in the wine cellar of our soul, and then it's really not complete like a glass of fine wine until you smell it and drink it and savor it and taste it, and that's called social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, where we are all allowed, a complaint is not really a complaint until we get to hear ourselves say it, watch ourselves type it, get it out into the atmosphere. And friends, if there was a face mask for the soul, it would be called unloading all of the social media apps on our phones. Because we live with this infection of complaining. And the fact is, complaining is easy. Yeah? You can be skillful at complaining with very little effort. It is the path of least resistance. Complaining is like a weed. It thrives anywhere. Have you ever seen a weed come up right through the cement, right through the asphalt? Have you ever seen that? You can't grow grass in your yard, but it's creeping up through the sidewalk. And you how? Complaining is that way. Try to get somebody to speak life-giving words. Try to get somebody to even talk about a spiritual thing. And it's like pulling teeth. It's awkward. It's painful. But man, you, you, we, have, we have like, we have antenna. Like we can sense if somebody is going to agree with our complaint, we can't wait to get that thing out in the oxygen. Come on. If you just know that that person hates Donald Trump, Bang! You can smell it. You can sniff it out. We're like dogs. And man, if that person, if you just know they're anti-vax, here we go. Ah, It's the mark of the beast. (laughs) Government's going to track you. Charles Spurgeon was the prince of preachers from the 1800s in England, and he said this about lying, but I think it works for complaints. He said, it is a great deal easier to set a story afloat than to stop it. If you want truth to go around the world, you must hire an express train to pull it. But if you want a complaint to go around the world, it will fly. Come on, friends. 
The fact is, we're going to be here for a few more minutes, and then we're going to go back out into the big, bad world. And my question is, how are we any different than the rest of the people in the world that don't claim to know Jesus? Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Numbers, chapter 11. The book of Numbers is the third book of your Bible, and it's mostly the description of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, which kind of sounds like life for the last 18 months. We're going to start reading at verse 4 of Numbers 11. We're going to read for a little bit, so bear with me. It says, The rabble among them had a strong craving, and the Israelites also wept again and said, If only. Everybody say, If only. That's where complaining often starts. If only, dot, 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 fill in your favorite candidate, your favorite pet peeve, whatever it is. If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color was like the color of gum resin. The people went around and gathered it, ground it in mills or beat it in mortars, then boiled it in pots and made cakes of it, and the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna would fall with it. Moses heard the people weeping through, uh, throughout their families, all at the entrances of their tents, social media. Then the Lord became very angry. And Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated me so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child to that land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they come weeping to me and say, give us meat to eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone, for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you're going to treat me, put me to death at once. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. So the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not bear it all by yourself. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wailed in the hearing of the Lord, saying, If only we had meat to eat, surely it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not only one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days. Are you getting the sarcasm here? But for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Sounds like a parent. Because, look at this line. You have rejected the Lord who is among you. Let's stop and pause. I don't want to forget to say this. Complaining, God sees complaining as rejection of him. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, the people I am with, number 600,000 on foot, and you say I will give them meat that they may eat, month, eat meat for a whole month? Are there enough flocks and herds to slaughter for them? Are there enough fish in the sea to catch for them? The Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent, and then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad, the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent 
And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this scripture that you have put before us in our own language. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit who inspired the text to inspire me, but to open all of our ears to hear the word of the Lord this morning. And we ask it in his name. Amen. The first thing that you notice here is that complaining is infectious. Complaining is infectious. It starts with, look at verse 4, what, what group does the complaining start with? It starts with the rabble. Don't you like that word, the rabble? Uh, um, another translator uses the word riffraff. Because in the Hebrew, it's, uh, it's, it's got that sort of like, repetitious, alliterative, alliterative feel to it, riffraff. We all know what riffraff are, the troublemakers. In this case, it's a technical term that's referring to foreigners. It's referring to people who don't have a covenant. This is very important because when you don't have a covenant, you don't have confidence. When you don't have a covenant, you don't have any reason to hope or to trust. When you don't have a covenant, you are on your own. And so when bad things happen and you don't have a covenant, it's up to you to fix it. And what did Moses say? He said, how can we fix this out here in the middle of the wilderness? We've got 600,000 people on foot and they want to have a stake. Well, if you don't have a covenant, you've got to find one heck of a butcher, right? Around the next burning bush. Maybe there's a butcher bush somewhere that you can like go over and guess. It's... This, if you don't have a covenant, you have no hope. You have no trust. And look at this. The rabble among them had a strong craving. Everybody say craving. There are times back in the day when I would preach here and I would talk about things like Cracker Barrel pancakes. People did not like when I did that. And I talked about the crispy edges and the syrup, and the butter, and how good it is with like the salty ham, or bacon, or what have you, and they didn't like that, because the sermons would inevitably go too long, and the whole time, they didn't hear anything I said, because they're just thinking about, can we get in at Cracker Barrel, if he keeps preaching this long? You know the power of a craving? Folks, I know the power of a craving. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, in the 19th verse, well, the 18th verse, he says, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction. Look at this line. Their God is their belly. Sounds like the folks in Numbers 11. The craving, in the Hebrew, it actually means they lusted a lust. In other words, one lust wasn't good enough. This was lust squared. This was such a deep craving. Their God was the belly. And notice the way Paul describes this. If we are people of cravings, we are enemies of the cross of Christ. Because the cross of Christ, Paul said in the previous chapter to this, Philippians chapter 2, he said, he didn't, Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus didn't have a craving issue because Jesus, there was nothing selfish in Jesus. There's nothing in Jesus that's Jesus first. Jesus even said to the, the people, he said, I didn't come to do what I want to do. I came to do the will of my Father who sent me. The cross of Jesus Christ will always remain central to our faith because it is the expression of love. And as the expression of love, it reminds us that love is not selfish. When we are selfish, we have cravings. Those cravings become our gods. 
Why do we need a cross? Why do we need to look at a cross? Why do we need to be reminded of a cross? Why do I not take offense if I see a crucifix? Is because when I see the man on the tree and I look at the man on, I don't even, I like an empty cross, but the Jesus on the cross helps me because it doesn't let me avoid the cost of love. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. Peter says, absolutely not. In Matthew 16, it actually says Peter manhandled Jesus. He grabbed him and pulled him aside. So you're not going to the cross. Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. Oh, okay. I thought my name was Peter. You just changed my name to Peter. Now I'm Satan. Any effort to separate Jesus from the cross is satanic. Any effort to separate you from your cross is satanic. Francis de Sales said this, he who complains sins because self-love, and by this he's talking about a carnal, selfish love, because self-love magnifies the injuries done us and makes us believe them greater than they really are. Can anybody say, I know what he's talking about? Has anybody turned a mountain from a molehill? How does that happen? How does the person who didn't give you the proper greeting on Sunday morning suddenly become the devil himself? How does the person who cuts you off in traffic have to be demon-possessed? How does this happen? Think about it. The person who brought 21 items into the 20 items or less line <laughs> is somehow related to Adolf Hitler. You know this. And you complain. I'm not accusing you. We complain about the stupidest things as if they are earth-shattering. It's because we're lusting with a lust. It's because we're craving people. And... This line at verse 5, you have to look at it. If you get nothing out of the sermon, please take this home with you. Please write this down. Verse 5, we remember the fish that we got for nothing. You ever heard the phrase, there's no such thing as a free lunch? Apparently they did not. Because this free fish that they were getting, where were they getting? They were getting it back in Egypt. And, and what were they doing in Egypt again? Like, oh, oh, they were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. So the free lunch was actually a slave ration? This was nothing more than your owner filling up the gas tank in their tractor. And you're calling it a free lunch. And you're pining for it and wishing you could have it. They were fueling you up to make bricks for their buildings. And you call it a wonderful thing. Please listen to me. Complaining gives us selective recall. I was a teenager in the greatest decade ever, the 1980s. And with the greatest actor of our day, the Shakespearean Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> who had a movie called Total Recall. This is not Total Recall, friends. This is selective recall. Because not only are they omitting key details about the fish they were eating, they happen to forget the fact that this whole argument started over meat, not fish. Suddenly now, we don't care about the meat. That's kind of not the point. Well, wait a minute. It should have been the point. Listen, when we're complaining, folks, we don't care about the details. We just want to get it out. And when we're getting it out, we omit the things that are convenient for us to omit. Hello? Has anybody ever complained about something that you actually played a part in? Does anybody remember this when you were, look back on your high school years with fondness? Does anybody do that? Okay, yeah, the, the, the lying levels are just, I'm the only person. Does anybody think, oh, remember when we were kids and it was, life was just simpler? Does anybody? I got a 23-year-old raising her hand and I'm looking at 50-year-olds like, I don't know what she's talking about, right? 
You remember when life consisted of things like homework and girls? Okay? Now I want, and oh, life was so good back then. Now I want you to really be honest and remember when you were in high school and you thought you couldn't wait to be an adult. Now you get what I'm talking about because I can go to bed when I want to go to bed and I can go out with who I want to go out with and I can paint my walls black in my bedroom if I want to. I can listen to Guns N' Roses and not get grounded because... (laughs) That might be a personal story for me. I might have gone too far there. Slipped out. Sorry. Good taste. What can I say? Hey, selective memory. When you go back to that high school time when you were powerless and you had no money and you had no freedom and you had nothing, nothing, nothing. You didn't have the education, the qualification. If your parents put you out, you were in trouble because you could not provide for yourself. You were dependent. You really want to go back to that place? None of us want to go back to that place except when we do, right? And this is the power of complaining. We forget what it was like. Not only do we forget, we distort reality. It's the power of negativity. It distorts reality. It distorts our experiences. It blows things out of proportion. It makes evil good. That's what they did. Slavery is evil. If you ever were looking for a chance to say amen without hesitation, that might have been it. Slavery is evil. Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel good about my preaching. Slavery is evil, and they're talking about it like it's good. We got free food, man. That was awesome. Really? Okay. But now let's contrast this complaining speech in the front of the story with the prophetic speech in the back of the story. You see, rather than the riffraff just kind of assembling birds of a feather, the motley crew of verse 4... Now we see God calling for 70 elders, and I love the language here in verse 16. God says, gather for me. There is a difference when people come together by their common misery versus people coming together by divine invitation. The church in Greek is the word ekklesia, and it's the called out ones. We did not come here today because we chose to come here. We came here because the Holy Spirit of God gave us the desire and the ability to be here. We may not have consciously, intellectually, or psychologically recognized the moment, but I'm telling you in faith that that spiritually, on a mystical level, you got up even if you did not feel the want to. Spiritually, it was in your soul. That makes you the ecclesia. That makes you graced. Your presence here is a gift to you. Your presence here is a gift to the person next to you. Your presence here is a gift to me. Who gave the gift? God gave the gift. You are not riffraff. You are not a rabble. That word in the Greek, the uh, Hebrew, excuse me, the origins, the origins of that word have to do with harvest. When you're harvesting a field of wheat, it's not like picking flowers, am I right? You pick a flower, you say, oh, I like that one, I'm going to pick that one. When you're harvesting wheat, you're just in there. Huge equipment, just pulling it all together. There's not a whole lot of intentionality regarding the individual stalks. Harvest is just get it all in the bin as quick as you can before it rots. That's riffraff. The 70 elders are called out intentionally by God with a purpose bigger than themselves. Friends, if we don't want to be complaining people, let's be the people who surrender to something bigger than ourselves. The complaining person has made themselves the center of the universe. The the complaining person is looking at the menu. They're not looking at the purpose. They're looking at it saying, I'm tired of eating this miracle every day. 
That's what they're saying. I'm tired of eating this miracle every day, not knowing that the God of heaven, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is brought them out of slavery through the Red Sea, providing water from a rock and manna from heaven, getting them into the promised land where they're going to live in houses they didn't build. They're going to drink wine from vineyards they didn't plant. That's, the, that's what's going on. They don't see that. All they see is the menu. You see, complaining expresses the dictates of the belly, but prophesying expresses the mind of God. Prophesying was participation in the life of Moses. Complaining is our futile effort to get control of a negative situation. Let me say this. For the last 18 months, Americans, depending on their perspective, have been powerless in the face of COVID. Variants now with this most recent Delta variant and talks of other variants. We groan, don't we? When I read about the, the recent think it's the Mu variant. Wow. This disease is smarter than our doctors, it seems. When we're in this powerless situation, if you're for vaccines, you're powerless to make everybody get vaccinated. We complain. If you're opposed to vaccines, and your governor says, oh no, this is what we're, you feel powerless. What happens? You can't control it. Do you know your governor is not under your control, right? Let me, let me tell you this. You don't control your governor. You don't control your president. You don't control your boss. And if your company says you're getting jabbed or you're losing your job, that's not a great feeling for a lot of people but you're powerless. I'm not here to talk about what should or shouldn't be done. I'm saying, how do we respond to things we can't control? That's what I'm here to say. If we're rabble, we complain and we moan and we carry on. But are we prophets? Are we people walking, not without a covenant, but with a covenant and a calling? You see, the prophetic will not be controlled. This is what's beautiful about it. Complaining is our futile, carnal effort to get control. Prophecy will not be controlled. I love the end of this story, these two characters. Seventy guys are registered to show up at the tent. Sixty-eight make it. I still want to know, what were you doing that was so important that you couldn't show up? The saints, right? What are you going to do? They're just, they're always confounding you, like, Eldad and Medad. They said, hey, you know, it's a Saturday. Well, it wouldn't be a Saturday. It would be a, be a Sunday. It's rainy. I'm not feeling it. God knows my heart. I'm staying at the tent. It's my tent. Could you imagine what happened? Let me think about it. So, can I be, I'll be abundantly clear here. This word for prophesying, right? A lot of people don't really know what this is. They don't know what this is. So when you think of a prophet, maybe you think of Elijah or, you know, somebody like that. You think of, like, pointing a finger in the king's face, that sort of thing. Maybe you think of the guys on TV that say, oh, you know, your social security number starts with a, a one. <laughs> no, 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 a zero. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? That's what, we, what are we thinking of? I can tell you exactly what this is. Remember the story of Saul when, when Saul was anointed to be the king and, and the prophet Samuel said the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to prophesy and it happened not once, not twice, but three times and Paul was, uh, Saul excuse me, was going down the road, out down the sidewalk prophesying and people observed and said, oh, he's one of the prophets now. He's in the school of the prophets. In Hebrew culture, 
this prophesying, this is as Pentecostal, freaky, scary, mystical, ecstatic experience stuff, like visions and babbling. That's what this is. Seventy men registered. They're going to get some, not of God's spirit, of Moses' spirit. And God's going to take some of, I don't know how the math works for this. Okay? I don't know how the math works. But God says, I'm going to take some of your spirit. I'm going to put it on them. He puts it on them. They start, they start going in. They're going in like, like Pentecostal church. Go- That's literally what this is. I'm sorry if you had like, if you thought like in the Old Testament, they were like, oh. It was not that. It was like, oh, I can see you over there 100 feet away doing something crazy. It was that kind of thing. Imagine these two guys. They're not even there. And it hits them. You're in the kitchen, like, cleaning a pot after Shabbat dinner, and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. whoa, what is going on? What, is, what does the story say? It's, I, I'm telling you the truth. The story says somebody heard them and ran to tell on them. Hello? They weren't having a private moment with Jesus, Yeshua. They were going in so loud, the person in the next ten over was like, what the heck is that? They go running out to the tent of Moses, and they tell Joshua, you know, he's the armor bearer, the bodyguard. Won't you let you in the pastor's office? Hey, what's going on? There's some guys in the, back in the camp. They're going crazy. I think they're prophesying. Joshua, notice what he wants to do, exactly what the complainers do. He's trying to control the situation. And he goes right into Moses, kicks the door open, shut it down. Stop it. Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 38. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. Look at this. Because he was not following us. Uh, Hello? Control? I'm at the center. They're complaining that somebody's casting out demons. Complaining can make great things miserable. Come on. If your daughter was possessed by a devil and some guy cast that devil out and brought peace into your home, and these clowns are complaining, well, he's not in our group. He shouldn't be doing that. Really? Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. See, here's the thing about the prophetic. It won't be controlled. It won't be managed. It won't be put in a tool belt for us to pull out at our convenience when we want to assert some sort of spiritual leverage over people. That's not how the prophetic works. The prophetic is the manifestation of the divine through people who have surrendered themselves to what God wants to do, trusting that God's plans and purposes are more important and better than what I'm craving in my belly. I think we have to consider the fact that God visited those two men in their tents just to make sure everybody knew those guys weren't prophesying because they were with Moses. They were prophesying because God was doing something. And now we know because the guys that weren't even with Moses got hit. The rabble's complaint revealed their perspective. God is not able to finish what he started. The rabble, the riffraff, they're looking around saying, God brought us out, took us away from the fish and the onions and the leeks and the garlic and the melons, and he's not able, apparently. They're not asking God to give them meat. They're complaining because he can't. The prophetic voice testifies, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's what the prophetic voice says. The complaining voice says, I don't think God can do it. I don't think God's going to do it. Where's God? The prophetic voice says, I'll tell you where God is. He's in the midst of you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That's what the prophetic voice says. The prophetic voice is the voice that has its speech liberated from its circumstances. 
I'm going to say that again. The prophetic voice is the voice that has been liberated from its circumstances. If the only thing I have to say about my circumstance is basically a description of the circumstance, I don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. I don't need to look around and say, oh, COVID's really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Thank you for that insight you had there. You know, it's very tragic. Yes, it is tragic. There's nothing prophetic about that. But it does open the door to some complaining, doesn't it? Well, you know, if they had done... Right? I don't know why they did this. It doesn't require the Spirit of God in your life. It doesn't call for a covenantal relationship with the King of the universe for us to simply regurgitate the facts about our circumstances. But if we're prophetic people, we're testifying people. We're people whose speech is not ground and tied to the bad circumstances in our lives. Our speech is informed and inspired by the God who spoke the world into existence. I love the prophet Habakkuk. What does he say at the end of his letter in chapter 3 verse 17 though the fig tree does not blossom I love this and though no fruit is on the vines though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food though the flock is cut off from the fold and there's no herd in the stalls yet I will rejoice in the Lord come on I will exult in the God of my salvation God the Lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. That's prophetic speech in the midst of negative circumstances. I love, I've been using the, the, the prayer book from Kenya and their version of this. It says, though the mangoes aren't ripe and the coconut tree is empty, yet will I praise him. Come on, somebody. The end of the book of Revelation says what? It says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Because Jesus is constantly looking at what's possible, not simply what is. Jesus is always convinced of what's possible. He's not simply looking at what is. I'm glad when he looks at me, he just doesn't see what is. Huh. I don't want him to look at me and just see me. I want him to see what me can be. That's what I want him to see. Friends, don't let friends complain. I love, love, love. Turn there in your Bible. We're closing now. Psalm 124 was read this morning to open the service. I'm convinced it's worth a second look. If we're not going to be the rabble, we're not going to be the riffraff, we're going to be prophetic people, we're going to be testifying people, we're going to be people that speak out, not of our circumstances, but out of the liberation of God's Spirit. This is what you're seeing right here. Psalm 124 is liberated prophetic speech. Here's what we don't have to do. We don't have to deny that life is hard. We don't have to deny that the world is a mess. We don't have to deny that there's poverty, there's hunger, there's violence, there's war, there's political corruption, there's cultural division, there's racism, there's classism, there's sexism. We don't have to deny all of these things. And we go, oh, well, this, hey, last time I checked, sin is everywhere. All these people splitting hairs. Come on. What do we do, you know, this stuff flies around. Psalm 124, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, I love this, he interrupts himself. Because he, he's preaching, he's preaching. He was about to start his sermon and realize the congregation was not with him. I don't know what that's like, but. He's, he's going in right away. He started hot. I started with a trunk joke. He started hot. He's like, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. He's like, whoa, look at this line. Let Israel now say. Just in case you thought you were going to sit back and just watch me preach this sermon. He's like, no, no, no. We're all in this. We're all about to speak. 
I'm going to say that again. We're all in this. We're all about to speak. Right? Let Israel now say. Same line. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Look at this. When our enemies attacked us. Wait a minute. If God is on your side, shouldn't you be free from enemy attack? I thought favor wasn't fair. And that meant I don't get attacked, right? No, no, no. When our enemies attacked us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped. Somebody say, I got out. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken. We have escaped. Somebody say, I got out. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Listen, your testimony will transform your community. Your testimony will transform your community. How do you speak to one another? Let's think about this. How do we talk to one another? Do we complain to one another? Do we stir up the worst in one another? Do we turn molehills into mountains? Do we take small problems and just we weave them and polish them and turn them into gems of misery? Or do we speak to the possibility of the prophetic spirit of God that says, I know the mangoes aren't ripe yet. I know the coconuts aren't on the tree, but I'm going to give God praise. Do we look around and say, you know what? It's been rough. The enemy showed up. I got some bite marks on my thigh. Hello? I still got a little water in my nose. You know when you get water up your nose and like three minutes later you can still feel that little burn in the back. I, I still feel the water was there, but you know what? I didn't drown. I got the bite marks, but I still got my leg. Huh. And you know what? I remember what it was like to be in the trap, but the trap is broken. Oh, because the Lord was on my side. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called... Um, long obedience in the same direction. And it was about the Psalms of Ascent, of which this is one. And he said this about this particular verse. He said, God's help is not a private experience. It is a corporate reality. God's help is not an exception that occurs among isolated strangers, but the norm among the people of God. Your blessing isn't yours. Your deliverance isn't yours. Your breakthrough isn't yours. His provision isn't yours. It's ours. You got to tell us about it. Because there's somebody who's on the fence. They're looking at the mango tree going, huh, this could be bad. They're looking at the coconut crop saying, mm, I'm not, I don't feel good about this. But when they hear somebody say, yet I will rejoice. I see the same thing you see, but I'm not worried about what you're seeing. Well, why are you talking that way? Well, let me tell you why I'm talking that way. If it hadn't been for the Lord who was on my side, when the flood was coming in, when the enemy was coming in, when the trapper got me, if the Lord hadn't showed up, it all would have been a mess. You see, when we are able to testify from our past, it gives us confidence in our present to step with hope into our future. When we can open up our mouth and actually say some God things, not just good things, some God things about what's gone on. When Peterson says, this, is, this bothers me, this quote from Eugene, because he's saying that God's help is not an exception it's the norm among the people of God. Well, if I'm always needing God's help, that means I'm always in trouble. Can I get a witness? Anybody besides me, always in trouble. You got to choose Monday is worry day, Tuesday is anxiety day, Thursday is stress day, Friday should be, thank God, it's Friday, but I, I'm kind of on the fence with that one. 
Hello. Peterson goes on to say this. He says, discipleship is hazardous work. <laughs> you realize when you said yes. See, I don't do like the altar call stuff anymore for like salvation. If, you're, if you don't like Jesus and you're here today, thanks for coming. It's been strange, I'm sure. I'm not going to convert you. I don't want to convert you. <gasps> I'm not here to manipulate your emotions and trick you into saying yes to a man who's a cross-carrying demanding Lord. I think most of our altar calls have been a bait and switch. One of my funniest memories of Pastor Bill. <laughs> uh, was at, when he was ordained as a deacon and he goes into holy orders. And the church believes this is a very mystical, very Holy Ghost sort of moment, right? And uh, it's like, when it's done, it's done. Like, they're laying hands on you. It's like a wedding. Like, this, like, this is for real. This is like till death. He, he didn't really understand that. <laughs> so we're in a hotel room after his ordination. And he's like, well, what, what, if, what if, you know, I, I don't know. Like, what happens if, like, down the road, I just, like, I don't want to. I'm like, bro, it's too late for that. He's like, what? What? I'm like, oh, no, it's like a tattoo on your soul. Like, you can't, like, you're, the collar is forever. He's like, but if I don't, I said, it's funny when it's Pastor Bill, but it's not funny when you realize, wait a minute, Jesus called me to follow him, and part of that journey includes a cross. Part of that journey includes Golgotha. Part of that journey means I'm going to get bit on the butt by the enemy. I'm going to get drowned in waters and have them coming up to my nostrils, and I'm going to have to say not once, not twice, but for the rest of my life, I'm going to keep on saying, if it hadn't been for the Lord who was on my side, let the house of Israel right now say with me, right? If it hadn't been for the Lord who was on my side, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't be here. Testifying is not about whitewashing, overlooking, conveniently omitting the details. That's for complaining. Complaining is like, oh yeah, that slavery thing. Whatever, no big deal. No, prophetic testimony steps up and says, oh, let's put all the cards out on the table. And when that last card is out, we're going to drop this one. It's called the Psalms. We're going to drop that card. How about that one? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? How about that one? Come on. Though the arrow flies, though the sun might scorch me by day and the moon might somehow burn me at night, I will trust in the Lord because he's my shield and my protector. That's the testimony that needs to come out of our mouth. You see, there are people in your life who need to hear you speak, testify, and prophesy about God's faithfulness. Because when you speak, you create hope. You create trust. You give your words are seeds that will find their ways into, into people's hearts. You gotta remember, God created the universe by doing what? Speaking. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He created it with his word, he sustains it with his word. He speaks words. What does Jesus say? His words are spirit and they are life. I even hate to say it because it's such a terrible Christian cliche. But we need to speak life to one another. Speaking life is not saying, you're such a good person. You're probably not. I had to. I had to. It's still me, right? It's still me. Like, he didn't change that much. He's still going to be a little bit of a jerk. Come on. You're not that good, right? Anybody got, like, a little bit of jerky still in there, like beef jerky going, right? Yeah, okay. We got it. I don't need somebody to tell me I'm good. I need somebody to tell me God is great and his greatness is shown towards me. I need somebody to tell, I need somebody to tell me I'm good. Don't get me wrong. I, we, I, I, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can still tell me I'm good. And we all need to, we all need to be encouraged, right? Not, I'm not getting at that.
please hear me. I'm, I'm trying to be funny, but I, I want to be serious. I'm not saying there's not a place for encouragement, edification, and exhortation and all that. We all need Barnabas in our life, don't we? We all need the encourager to come along and say, you know what, you can make it. Sometimes those simple words of encouragement are the things that keep us going. You know, and simple text, you ever get that simple text from somebody at just the right time, thinking for you, thinking of you, praying for you? I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is we need to add another layer of speech. We need the encouraging, we need the prophetic speech. We need the people that are speaking words that are liberated from circumstances, that bring the perspective of God, not the God of our belly, but the God of heaven, to bear on our lives and say, you know what? You got a reason to praise him. You got a reason to hope. You got a reason to be confident. You got a reason, a reason to be joyful. God's kingdom is not going to go away. COVID is not going to take over the kingdom. Donald Trump's not going to take over the kingdom. Joe Biden's not going to take over the kingdom. The Democrats, the socialists, the Marxists, the right wingers, nobody's taking over the kingdom of God. Your ultimate citizenship isn't here, and somebody ought to say, Thank God for that. It's not here. It's not here. And the, the beauty of that is because now we can, we can walk around here and love everybody freely. We can love people to the left of us, the right of us, the top, the bottom, behind us, whatever. We can love them because we don't have skin in the game like that. We don't have skin in the game. We are kingdom citizens, folks. And so we walk around here trying to bring that kingdom to bear on the world. How do we do it? We speak it. We speak it, we declare it, we testify, and we know that when we're speaking those words of hope, those words of life, those prophetic words that are not tied up in what we want and what we need and what we think, but they're God's words coming through us. Friends, that's going to bring somebody to a new place. New creation is going to happen in somebody's life. Let me pray for you. Let's bow our heads. Father, today I rejoice as I look out over a room filled with image bearers. I'm looking out at a room filled with men and women and boys and girls who have been called, just like those 70 elders, have been called out to speak and to prophesy. God, I'm grateful and I pray today that you would pour not part of Moses' spirit, but your Holy Spirit onto these folks today, onto this house today. I pray that there would be a fresh touch of heaven on every person who's hungry for it, every person who says, God, I'm showing up. I want it. I hear the call. I pray that you would bring them into a new dimension of speech, a new dimension of power in their mouth. God, forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for our cravings dictating our speech. Forgive us for not being careful, for getting caught up in the rabble. Forgive us. But purge us, cleanse us. We're grateful for the opportunity to participate in your work in the earth. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.